Uh, we have been working our way through the second part of the book of Genesis, the part of the book of Genesis that's often referred to as the patriarchs of Israel. So today's story, as Pastor Elizabeth alluded to earlier, is the story of Jacob's ladder. Let's um, hear that story read now. It's in Genesis chapter 28. I'm going to read verses 11 through 22. You can read along on the Pew Bibles in front of you. I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. Let's listen to God's word to us this morning. Jacob came to a certain place, and he stayed there for the night, because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head like a pillow and laid down on that place, and he dreamed that there was a stairway, a ladder, set up upon the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven, and angels of God were ascending and descending on the ladder. And the Lord then stood beside Jacob and said to him, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring, and your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and the families of the earth, all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you. And in your offspring, know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised to you. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. He was afraid and he said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning and he took the stone that he had put under his head and he set it up as a pillar and he poured oil on top of it and he called that place Bethel. But the name of the city was Luz in the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so I will then come again to my father's house in peace and the Lord shall be my God and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you gave me, I will surely give one-tenth back to you, O Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray for the one who preaches? for his sins are many. Let us pray. Holy God, descend upon us now with the promises of your grace. May something of what I say and do, or at least something of what is seen and heard of me from this pulpit today, may it not be of me, may it be of you. May it be of you and your promises, the things you've done for us and the things you would have us do for you in our lives and in this, your world. In your holy name we ask it. Amen. Uh, last week, as we celebrated Independence Day, I found myself thinking a lot about founding fathers and the stories we tell about them. Uh, my family spent the fourth in Charlottesville, Virginia, with my wife's family, which of course was the home of one of our most prominent founding fathers, Thomas Jefferson, the one who penned those words that we celebrate on the 4th of July, the Declaration of Independence, those words that brought our country into being. Uh, Charlottesville is all about Thomas Jefferson. 
You can't go anywhere in Charlottesville without seeing something that Thomas Jefferson touched or something that has Thomas Jefferson's name on it. He was an incredible figure of history. Uh, he was not only a president, a politician, a diplomat, he was also an architect. He was a builder. He was an educator. He's an incredibly talented and gifted writer, and he was a very, very successful businessman. So he walked all over the grounds of the University of Virginia, which was organized by Thomas Jefferson. It was designed, it was built, it was started by Thomas Jefferson. Uh, we also went to Monticello, where Jefferson lived and did most of his work. If you've never been to Monticello, you absolutely should go. Jefferson is one of our nation's founding fathers. Another way to put that is he is an American patriarch. As Americans, we tell stories about Thomas Jefferson and about others like George Washington or Ben Franklin. These were successful and accomplished men who at the right time ascended to the top above the rest and guided and shaped our nation into the country that we have inherited today. So we tell stories about the things they did. We tell stories about their brave feats. We tell stories about those brave feats so that we might have that same kind of bravery as citizens. We parse the principles that they, they stood for so that we might better know what we as Americans should stand for as well. We look to these founding fathers, these people, as people who stand above us as heroes for the things that they did. But these founding fathers were not immortal. If you go to Monticello, you'll learn not only about the remarkable and the admirable things that Jefferson accomplished, you'll also learn about his very real flaws and his moral failings that these days are well documented but haven't always been talked about. Jefferson owned over 600 slaves in his lifetime, and he secretly fathered six children with one of them. And that's not a story about Jefferson that we are eager to tell. Matter of fact, it might make us a little bit uncomfortable to learn about that because we look up to our founding fathers as our patriarchs. We look at them as being above us on the ladder of life. That's not unique to America. Pretty much every society, every country in the world, you will find people of the past, royals, warriors, scientists, athletes, explorers who are regarded as important people, great people who shape society and who are venerated and remembered for those great deeds. But often, they're not so great deeds. Their sins are usually overlooked. And the truth is, no matter how high you climb, no matter how high anyone climbs in life, people are always complex. And when it comes to remembering our ancestors, we human beings have this pattern of wanting to remember the good parts and conveniently overlooking the not-so-good parts. Why do I bring this up this morning? I bring this up this morning because to me, one of the most remarkable things about the Bible, one of the things that sets the Bible apart from every other kind of literature and makes it stand out, is the fact that from the very beginning, it breaks this pattern. 
of how we think about founding fathers. The Bible remembers its patriarchs very differently from how we tend to remember our own national patriarchs, for example. Uh, this summer, we've been spending time getting to know the stories of these, these patriarchs, these biblical founding fathers, the ancestors of the people of God. Those are our spiritual ancestors here at the church as part of the church as well. These people are Abraham, to whom God made the initial promise, Isaac, his son, and then now we are on to Isaac's son, Jacob. And you would think, like most founding fathers, these uh, people are venerated because they are great ascendants who stand above us to be celebrated, to be emulated. But when you read their stories in the book of Genesis, they do not come off that way at all. Multiple times, Abraham tries to loan out his wife, Sarah, to other men. Sarah, his wife, forces Abraham to sleep with a slave in order to produce a child named Ishmael and then shuns the child and the slave out of jealousy. Abraham almost offers his son Isaac as a human sacrifice. Rebekah and Isaac pick favorites between their twin sons, Jacob and Esau, and pit them against one another. And then, as we heard last week, Jacob steals his brother Esau's rightful inheritance by lying to his father. This is an incredibly dysfunctional family. Genesis reads like a soap opera, not as the story of the founding of a people. And that's what I love about the Bible. Uh, at the Bible does not hold these characters above us. These are not people who are meant to be models of morality, whose deeds are meant to be celebrated. The biblical founding fathers are remembered as the complex human beings that they were and the complex human beings that you and I are. People who are constantly getting in each other's way in life, just like you and me get in each other's way. And the one character in the Bible whose deeds the Bible does want to celebrate and venerate is not Abraham. It's not Isaac. It's not Jacob. It is the Lord God. That's the only character that gets the credit. These stories, when you read them, these stories of these patriarchs, they're not saying, honor what the patriarchs did for God. It's the other way around. It's honor God for what God did despite the patriarchs and what God can do for you and for me, even in spite of ourselves. What if Jacob had realized that earlier? So the story today, we got Jacob um, has a dream. He has this dream where he sees a ladder. This is not the first ladder that Jacob has seen in his life. So we meet Jacob today, and it's, it's at a critical turning point in, in his life. Jacob is on the run from his brother Esau, who now has every right in the world to want to see Jacob dead. Jacob, by definition, is a complete and utter jerk. 
his father at his father's deathbed. He went and took advantage of his father's confusion and blindness. He tricked his father into thinking he was his brother so that he could steal his brother's rightful inheritance. Jacob put on a fur coat so that his arms would be hairy like his brother's arms. He scented himself so his father would smell him and think that he was his brother Esau. Also that his father would bless him with the blessing that would give him his brother's rightful inheritance as the firstborn son of the family so that he could take what rightfully belonged to his brother. And Jacob succeeds in this deception and now Jacob at this point in his life has gotten everything that he has ever wanted in his life he has made it to the top his entire life he has felt like he is in second place Esau was first born Esau was the skilled hunter he stayed at home Esau was his dad's favorite. Esau was the one who would be the head of the family. Esau was the one to inherit the promise of God that was made by God to their grandfather Abraham. His whole life, Jacob has seen a ladder. His whole life, Jacob has seen his brother standing one step, two steps, three steps up higher on the ladder than him. His entire life, Jacob has been trying to climb higher on the ladder, even higher than his brother stands on the ladder. All that he's ever wanted was to ascend, to ascend higher than his brother, ascend higher than the rest, so that he may become the venerable founding father that he feels destined to be isn't that how it is dear friends with our lives we complex human beings always trying to climb the ladder of life at any and all cost last year I read this book stuck with me. It's called The Second Mountain. It was written by New York Times colonist David Brooks. Now, the big idea of the book is that there are these two mountains that people all climb in life. The first mountain is a mountain of accomplishment. So, so David Brooks says you, you spend your first part of your life trying to make something of yourself. You, you study to, to make good grades because you got to make good grades to get into a good school with the right major. So then maybe if you have a high enough GPA, you can get into the right grad school so that one day you can get a good job and you can work hard at your job to make the money that you need to buy the kind of house that you've always wanted, to move into that dream house, to be able to have that car you've always wanted, to be able to, 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 to pay for the vacations that you've always wanted, to go on, to, to build your business, uh, to follow your dreams, to get elected to offices to sit on those boards you've always wanted to sit on to, to, to just accomplish what it is you want to accomplish in life to prove your worth and some people they, they never quite make it to the top of that mountain uh, so, some people they get thrown off the mountain by by accidents or tragedies that strike and some people aren't just very good at climbing that first mountain at all and they go through life feeling like failures because they never get there but the thing that people know what he talks about, David Brooks says, the thing that people struggle to realize is that once you actually do ascend to the top 
of the first mountain. You end up looking out from the summit, and what you see, you go, oh, oh no, oh no, there's another mountain. There's another mountain I've got to climb. There's a second mountain that's beyond the first that I never even knew was there. Uh, The first mountain is a mountain of accomplishment, but the second mountain, the second mountain is so much more important. The second mountain is a mountain of meaning. It's a mountain made of something deeper. It's made of relationships. It's made of community. It's made of purpose. It's made of love of all the things that make life worth living in the first place that you should have been paying attention to from the very beginning. So here's our friend Jacob. And all of his life he has hustled to the point of deception and dishonesty. And he's made it to the top. He's finally ascended. He's finally made it to the top. Only for him, it's not on top of a mountain. He's made it to the top of the first ladder. And when he gets to the top of the first ladder, he stands there, and what does he see? He sees a second ladder. Another ladder, and unlike the first ladder, which is a ladder of accomplishment and success and getting ahead of his brother, the second ladder is that ladder of meaning, that ladder made of something deeper, of relationships, community, purpose, love, promises of God. Because that's who Jacob finds when he sees this ladder. And here's the thing. He sees God standing with him at the bottom of the second ladder. God's standing there beside him at the bottom of the second ladder. God says, I am with you. I will keep you wherever you go. I will not leave you, says the Lord. And my promise will be done for you. The Lord says right next to him, whispering in his ear at the bottom of the ladder, coming down from heaven. And this is so stunning to Jacob, so stunning that the only thing he can reply when he awakes is, surely the presence of God is in this place. And I did not know it. Because Jacob has not realized throughout his entire life up to this point that it was never about him getting to the top. He was never really actually standing on a lower rung than his brother the entire time. And it has nothing to do, his entire life has nothing to do with who he is. And the promise that he'd come to inherit was never dependent on him making it to the top of the ladder to begin with. Because the entire time, God has been standing right there next to him. And he didn't even know it. And he wasn't standing there because of him, because of who he is or anything he's done. He was standing there in spite of him. And in spite of what he had done to his very brother, 
And perhaps if Jacob had had this realization just a little bit earlier, that God was standing with him the entire time, he would have not felt that need for envy and jealousy. He'd have no reason to take such a course of deception and betrayal because he would know the security that he has in the promise of God. Perhaps he could have even seen Esau as less a rival to get ahead of and more of a brother, a gift with whom he has the blessing of sharing the world. Maybe that's how it all could have gone. Or maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe things would have still gotten messy. After all, Jacob. Jacob is a complex human being, just like any founding father, just like you and me. But in the end of the day, what matters, what has always mattered, is that God didn't need Jacob to climb up anything for God's promise to prove true. For the whole time, there was a second ladder. There was a second ladder on its way. A second ladder lying behind the first in which God comes down and in which the promise of God proves true in flesh and in blood in a cross and an empty grave in everlasting life. And so too, you and me are inheritors of that very same promise. And so whatever ladder you've been trying to climb, here's good news. There is no need. The presence of God is surely with you in this place. The only question is whether we know it. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we ask it. Amen.